In the world today, it's easy to get caught up in negativity. That's what the media thrives on giving us, and that's kind of where our attention goes. We're concerned citizens, so we want to know everything that's going on. And what if we took a break now and again to look at what good is going on in the world? What incredible innovations people are making in some of the most desperate places in the world? My guest today started a company, a concept called the Goodness Exchange. And what a breath of fresh air it was to speak with Linda and hear all about her work and how she's impacting the world and how she can impact each one of us. Even as we're aging, it's easy to focus on what's wrong. But you know that stress is not good for us and negative thinking about ourselves and the world around us is aging us. Let's take a look at the positive side. Join me. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to have a conversation about the positive side of life and how important it is to see goodness everywhere. Linda, thank you so much for being with us. I'm super delighted, Greg. Your, your show looks like it's shining a light on a lot of the same sort of insights that have so much potential that, that we're doing. I would say where it looks like it dovetails for me is there is goodness everywhere. As we age, it's easy to hear the negativity about aging. And yet there is goodness. And that's really a decision. What we focus on, how we see our aging will be impacted by what we focus on. So tell us about your work. And then you can tell us how you got to your work. I'll make the connection better. If I talk about my background, I've been a dentist and my husband and I are childhood sweethearts in Illinois. And we decided right off because my dad was one of the last Mohican physicians. He put the humanity in healthcare. That guy answered the phone four times a night, every night. He gave everybody in town his home number, delivered everybody's baby. We never went on vacation because he was waiting for somebody to deliver. And we decided when we both became dentists that we were going to do the same. And that relates to what I'm doing today because my husband and I realized that we had the opportunity to find something to celebrate with every single patient. And by the time my husband and I went to dental school, doctors were being timed. They had 11 minutes with each patient. Insurance companies were driving a lot of the, the direction of medicine. And that relates to what I'm doing now with the Goodness Exchange and the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, because we took the time to really know people. We knew their hopes. We knew their dreams. We found something to celebrate with every single patient that came to us. If you do that steadily, 30 to 40 people a day for 20 years, you get this feel for the big picture. And we started to notice that people were getting very fearful of the future. After there was a slow degrade in people's hopes and dreams about what was possible. And then by 2010, 11, 12, oh my gosh, <laughs> the advent of social media and the negativity in the news cycle. 
we just knew our patients were suffering from what could be described as future fatalism. People had otherwise been super cheerful for decades. Mm-hmm. We're starting to really feel the negative news cycle pressing on them. And so one day I was practicing like any other day and I got an email from a patient I'd known since he was a toddler coming to me from a foxhole in the world. And he thought of me in his lowest moments and was saying, Dr. Linda, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. He knew that I always found something to celebrate in his life. Show me, what should I know? And boy, I tell you, that is a real responsibility when a 19-year-old contacts you for validation that the world is still worth fighting for. And I dove into the internet for 48 hours straight. (laughs) My husband couldn't believe the fever I was under, but I could not find any place on the internet with no politics and no advertising that was doing stories of progress and goodness, real innovation. I could not find anywhere to send this kid because I didn't know his politics. I didn't want to send him any place where it was one ad after another. So after about hour number 48, I just snapped. And I said, that's it. I had always felt in my profession that there was something else I would be called to do. And I don't mean that in a spooky way. I just had this nagging feeling that I had something that I was uniquely built to contribute besides dentistry. And I began writing a one article every day on anything under the sun to prove it was still an amazing world. I I found somebody local who could build me a small passion project website. I'm very well read. I've traveled the world my whole life. And and so I knew there was goodness and progress people were never going to see. And I wrote one article a day about that that goodness and progress. (laughs) And it has expanded into this giant place called the Goodness Exchange now with thousands of articles about insight and innovation going uncelebrated. The podcast, I talked to thought leaders all over the world who are doing amazing things that no one knows about. We have a children's website. We have a fabulous app that can kind of like be the antidote to the daily news for people. And that's how a dentist, I think the last TEDx talk that I did, they called me the global positive media mogul. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's the story of how a dentist goes over to being a positive media expert. Well, we're happy to have you in the world for sure. And I have to say that it's not spooky to acknowledge that feeling that you knew that there was something that you were, as you say, uniquely designed to contribute to Mm -hmm. the world. Sometimes I think people forget about the contribution part. Well, I know I'm supposed to be doing something else, but I don't know what it is. And I say, look outside yourself. You may be uniquely qualified or uniquely designed, but it may not come from what you think or lead you where you think, right? Did you ever think this was going to come from dentistry? Yeah, I thought for all my life that my job was to raise three really worldly kids. We have Irish passports and they had all been to 27 countries by the time they were 20 years old, like hardcore places, sleeping on plywood in Tibet and almost sleeping under the car in the Andes. We took purposeful journeys to bleak places and usually found a way to contribute there. So I thought that that was my, what my purpose was. I thought I was supposed to raise three really good-hearted kids who would know how to be good global citizens. And then this happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, they must affirm that there is, I mean, their whole life experience affirms that there's good going on, even if it was you guys alone bringing it to a desolate place. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, Greg. 
What happened was the thing that struck me about this 19 year old's email is that I realized that my kids had seen beauty in very bleak places. They'd seen generosity, incredible generosity from people who had almost nothing. They'd seen eye popping ingenuity in really tough circumstances. People are so darn ingenious. And I realized that they were such fortunate kids, but most people were never going to see that. Not that they couldn't, but the way the internet is set up and the way the news cycle works, you wouldn't have to go there. We should have an internet that brings us that version of reality. Mm -hmm. We should have a news media that gives us a balanced picture, not just the chaos and the catastrophes. But I knew that most people were never going to have access to that. And to your point about my kids, our oldest daughter graduated from Harvard and she could have worked anywhere in the world. And she chose to come back and work with me on the goodness exchange. Oh. So that was the turning point. She said, mom, I'll come back and I'll do this with you and we will change the future, but you got to get a real website built. <laughs> and so we did get the big website, not the one you see now. This is the third iteration. So I've got a millennial who thinks entirely different from me that is my partner. And that has made all the difference in the world is embracing our differences together. Mm. That's another pebble in a pond, right? The idea it is. of embracing differences by working together side by side with somebody as opposed to seeing in the case often with boomers and millennials, what's wrong with them. <gasps> it's so frictiony. Yeah. This might be helpful to people. I tell you how I envision it. I get to be right only 20% of the time. <laughs> I know that's shocking, isn't it? Like yeah. that's not where I come from. I'm a high director type person in my professional life. I was mostly right all the time, yeah. but here's the way it works when you're trying to apply goodness towards future. You have to acknowledge. So I envisioned it like this. <clears throat> If we can imagine a big globe, the earth turning towards us, it's turning very slowly. I think of my daughter and my other millennial coworkers on the edge of that earth, and they can see over the horizon to what's coming. But me, I'm way back here in space. I've had 60 years of life, you know, 35 of it that they couldn't possibly know about. So my vision is more the 100,000 foot look in that gap, that space between us. And I can offer ideas up at the front <laughs> and she can say, no, no, that won't work because what's coming at us is different than I could possibly ever see. Mm. Or she can look back and say, ah, oh, that could work. And then I can help them navigate with my level of knowledge, with my experience and help them avoid some crazy stuff that, you do if you just hit and miss trial and error through business. So I really look at it that they, they are going to be right 80% of the time, but gosh, they need my 20%. Yes. And I would echo for anybody who's listening. I mean, listen to the enthusiasm that you have Linda, about everything you're talking about. You're lit up enthusiastic. And I think it's easy for that to get trammeled in the world. And again, the goodness exchange, what we put our attention on, right? And the idea, again, openness, you had an openness to work with people that are younger, less experienced, but more maybe visionary, because like you said, you can't see what they can see. 
Yes. And this is true of every generation. We can never see. We only look back and we go, oh, darn kids or darn this. We look ahead and say, oh, my parents getting, you know, old and duddy now. But we, if we can just let go of all of that programming, there's space for creating mm-hmm. amazing things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, people succeed in groups. That's how we did it 40,000 years ago during the Ice Age. Whenever I like get stuck on a problem, like, why can't this work? I always think about how things worked 40,000 years ago when we were doing cave paintings and just trying to make it in small bands of 17 to 20 people. My husband and I don't sleep very much anymore. We only need about five hours sleep. And no matter what, I'll just lay there and toss and turn and I'll well get up and work. What if 4,000 years ago, we needed, if the 60-year-old still existed, they couldn't chase down the mammoth with us. But you know what? We needed somebody to stay awake most of the night and make sure the saber-toothed tiger didn't come in and steal our three-year-old. Human evolution changes so slowly that we're even now, for instance, our amygdala, the reason why the news and social media captures our attention so easily is because the most important part of our brain 40,000 years ago was the amygdala. It was only programmed for danger and disorder. Those the only two things that part of our brain cares about when we're on autopilot. And so big surprise, the news media and social media is all built to trigger our most fearful impulses and anger and scarcity. Because those are signs of danger and disorder that got us moving 48,000 years ago. They kept us alive. Yeah. Great. That's the real secret. If you and I are here, it's because our ancestors were super good at bad news. (laughs) So I'm just not into looking at everybody's flaws. I'm not into trying to diagnose every human condition. If we just know how we're hardwired and we understand that Mother Teresa and Gandhi, they were hardwired exactly like each of us, but they didn't follow their emotions over a cliff like we do so often. Um, Yeah, they paused and they shifted up from that amygdala to the part of their brain that can be more helpful, more measured. You do a lot of work of bringing your news to places that people can find it. The small stories that aren't getting attention, the small everyday people, you mentioned Gandhi, other Teresa, and people go, wow, but you said they were wired like us. Oh, but they must have had some, you know, higher calling that I don't have. But you tell a story in your TED Talk about a man during World War II who saved so many people. Would you tell that story? Because I think it makes an interesting point. Yeah, I was chatting with this man who has this amazing program that makes participation in high school sports connected to being a good citizen and being a good family member and all these other great qualities. It's a brilliant project. There's an example of an ordinary person who's just decided that he had the ability to do something perfectly well-built for his skill set. So anyway, I'm talking to him one day and he was asking me about what we do. And he said, Linda, you know the story of the conspiracy of goodness from World War II, don't you? And I said, no. (laughs) He goes, oh my gosh, it's so what you're doing. So he told me the story and it goes something like this. Back in World War II, there was this this little French village called Le Chambon, France, that managed to save 3,000 Jews from a nearby Nazi concentration camp at, you know, enormous risk to the villagers' lives. And without any cooperation or collaboration with each other, they saved all these folks for three years. And there was a rabbi named Harold Schulweis who was giving a talk about that part of history. 
in Belgium. And he likes to tell the story of this older man standing up in the back of the room to say he had been one of the Dutch rescuers. And the old man said, do you think I could have saved this entire family without the active help of the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbors? He said, no, for every one person saved, there were seven who were rescuers. It was a conspiracy of goodness. That's such a good yeah. This is who we are. We are not what we see on the news and social media. We have been for thousands of years, helpers and doers. And some of us sacrifice, like certainly the people who had the Jews in their home took the greatest risk. But that milkman, that mailman and the neighbor, they were instrumental. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, you and I don't have to go out and physically save the rainforest. But we can find our own role in making the world a better place, like the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbors. Yeah, I just saw a story on, forgive me, social media, before we got on this conversation about a woman was in Walmart, and it was very early in the morning, and she saw another woman trying to steal diapers and milk. And she said, I paid for it. And the woman cried and thanked me profusely because she's out of money, right? She has no job. And I thought... That's what you're talking about. That's the milkman helping that one person have a little bit of pride to walk out of the store knowing she didn't steal something. And there are so many of those stories. They don't get attention. But if we do hear about them and we share those stories as opposed to the competing stories, then we spread goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, Greg, if there's nothing else people take away from this, this interview... <coughs> It's that the internet is an attention economy. That's all it is. Nothing else matters there, but capturing and then holding our attention for as long as possible. And the reason why we all need to get a grip and really know that before we go to the internet is because if we're on autopilot, that part of the brain we've already talked about, the amygdala, it will seek out signs of dangers and disorder. And what we give our attention to grows on the internet. It, that's the way it's built. It, nothing gets rewarded unless it gets eyeballs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, And that the algorithms now are so crazily built. That camera that we're using right now, it's, there are algorithms that can see how long my eyes laid on a piece of content. I don't even have to click. Yeah. And that gets rewarded and in the scope of things on the internet by advertisers' attention, by funding, by all the things. And so, gosh, if we can do anything, it's really about going to the internet with intention. Like if I do go to social media and I have accounts on all the big ones, I go with intention. I go there and I say, Facebook, I am going to see my sister's new puppy and then I'm going to leave. <laughs> disciplined about that because most people have this experience of maybe having good intention just going to look at their their sister's new puppy but then getting sort of lost in scrolling away accidentally clicking on negativity that probably doesn't deserve our attention do we need so, more of this i think is something that you say yeah so here's what i do when i go to the internet i go to the internet and i <clears throat> always have intention i'm going to buy a pair of boots or i'm going to check out the puppy or whatever it is and then I leave. And in the interim time that I'm there, I ignore 80% of what I see. I, I go there and before I click on anything, I go, my click is a vote. 
That's what it is. Every click you make, every swipe, every like, everything, it's a vote for more of what you're giving your attention to. And I say to myself, do we need more of this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. even if it's my political team and they've scored some big political victory in the world, <clears throat> if they're gloating, if they're ruining the dignity of the other side, if they're just stirring up the chaos, I'm going to ignore it. And that will make you have a lot better choices of what you give your attention to on the internet. And you know what happens? The internet doesn't know what to serve you next. And if what you're actively looking for is positive stuff, that's what you start seeing. So the world that, that other people tell me is on the internet, I don't see it. I know it's there because everybody's complaining about it. And certainly I'm fighting for it. That's everything we do at the Goodness Exchange is about telling the expanded version of reality, the part that's ever rising to the top of the internet. And it's interesting if everything is equal in a sense, poor is the flip side of rich and whatever, you know, how hot and cold and we have distinctions so that we can experience as much as possible in this life. How have we gotten, I mean, I understand about the reptilian brain. I always say pet the reptile when it's acting out. (laughs) Go back to its corner. But, but I don't, it's hard to, it's almost like an addiction because of course then we have dopamine. Every time we do one of these, relieve my anxiety about this political situation by hitting like or adding a comment. Do you have any suggestions for breaking out of that behavior? Yeah. So I love stories because they give us the why. So I'll give you a little why behind the practice that I use. So what we have got to remember about the internet is that in 1993, there were only 300 websites. And by 2003, there were 30 million So inside 10 years, we went from engineers running into work every day, just so happy because the original intent of the internet was to connect us and to each other and to connect us to information faster. That was the original exciting potential of this human creation. That's all it is. It's a human construct, the internet. There's nothing special about it. The automobile was a human construct. The printing press was something that gave us arguably as much leap forward as the internet. However, in that 10 years, an organizing principle had to appear because we we couldn't find each other and we couldn't find information when we went from 300 to 30 million so fast. And unfortunately, it became our attention. So the only thing that gets rewarded on the internet is what we give our attention to. Okay, so if you know that history about the internet, then I offer that the internet is like every other human construct and like the steam engine, like GPS, like cell phones. Remember the very first cell phones we had? They're on a big box on the floor. So the real bottom line is every human construct needs to be reimagined and has been after about 20 years. Everything, the steam engine, the cell phone, we reimagine it. It becomes more of a burden as time passes. And the internet is just due for reimagination. It just hasn't gotten it yet. We have to reimagine its role in our lives like a hammer. It can be used to build unbelievable things, but it can also be used to demolish things. Mm. So here's some of my suggestions. I already gave you the first one. Treat your click like a vote because every click you make is a vote. 
and you will get more of what you click on. Okay. Another great thing is to remember that there's an agenda behind almost every single piece of content on the internet. Even I have an agenda at the Goodness Exchange. I want to prove it's still an amazing world and I want people to find their role in it. <laughs> so that's my agenda. But if you can look around the website of the Goodness Exchange, you're going to see that that's all that's there. There's no advertising. We don't touch politics with a 10 foot pole. But if you go to any place on the internet and you can smell an agenda, and I think we have pretty good antennas for that, mm -hmm. especially as we get older, we get good antennas for agenda. Then you just have to consider the source. You may like the agenda people have, but don't count everything you find there as the God's truth. <laughs> if they, the stronger the agenda, the bigger the agenda, if it's monetary, if it's political, if it's power of some kind, just use common sense like you would if you met somebody on the street who seems a bit bigger for their britches than they should be. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're not going to buy everything they say hook, line, and sinker. You're going to look sideways at their logic and ask questions. And then the third one is seek signs of goodness and progress. And when you find it, share it. This is how we get a better version of ourselves and the world to rise to the top is that we seek it out. We consciously go to the internet and look for signs of, of progress and goodness. And then when we find it, we aren't ashamed to share it. Yeah. I mean, and I'm thinking that that helps our health. Really. Uh, Happiness helps our health. Less yes. stress. Very good for our health. Community connection. Super important, especially as we age, when it's easier to feel not like going to the group or excuse me one second. Yes. Between staying in a vibe, I'm gonna call it, of positivity and even sharing that. And I wait to say that people don't expect you to share good news if you become a habitual good news storyteller. And people might be surprised and more open to having a deeper connection, I'm guessing. Yeah. So there's this thing going on on the internet, especially on social media, that I've learned about because of this millennial team that I'm connected to. <clears throat> it's all about personal branding, Greg. So the reason why people don't share good news as often is because they're not sure whether to trust it or not. Is it too good to be true? You know, do they do i have the time to track down the source here is it coming from somewhere weird that'll make me look weird people are less likely to share things that are celebrations because it's very revealing like i really think what we celebrate defines us that's interesting and so it is harder for people to share good news it's much easier to share something that everyone could obviously be frightened by mm -hmm. That is super easy. You, you look like a concerned person. You know about what's going on in the zeitgeist. There's all kinds of reasons why bad news is really much easier to share. It comes from the heart. When you share something that you think other people should be aware of, because they, you should be afraid of this. <laughs> There's sort of a, a backwards good intention there. But I'm asking people to pause. Pause with all of these impulses. Just pause before you do anything. First of all, before you share anything, consider the source. 
there are all kinds of things that people share, and I see this often, that they obviously haven't even read. Mm. A lot of times the title is a tongue in cheek or it's satire. And then when you go read the article, it actually means the opposite. Mm. We had a local politician share something like that one time. And, you know, I jumped on the internet really quick and said, Janine, <laughs> you just shared a horrible thing because this, the title is satire. And she, you know, immediately took it off as fast as she could. But there were already people that, that were absolutely appalled. Mm. Make sure when you share things, you've, really looked at it don't just trust the title because the titles are all meant to grab our attention clickbait yes it's all clickbait and then i say the best practice is to think about whether this is actually going to be helpful and you're going to look thoughtful and i always ask myself greg do i need to say this do i need to say this now and does it ever really need to I mean something might make me blow up on, on the social media or the news and of course I my impulse is to start typing like everyone else but then I just pause again and I say uh, maybe I'll think more clearly about this when I'm not so angry or afraid or whatever and I almost never go back to it the, the next day and here's the big thing about that Let's say your issue is any of the biggest issues in our world right now. Like you, at your heart, you are just so tuned in and tapped into this thing. Let's say you see something on social media that's against what something you love. I mean, you would almost feel remiss not responding to it, right? Yeah. But we know what that leads to. If you go in there and you type the most clever response in human history against this thing, that made you so mad. You just gave it a vote. First of all, comments are the most important thing in, in counting who wins on the internet. So you just gave a point to that other team and you know what's going to happen. You're going to give the people who thought that posting was great, all kinds of ammunition to come in behind you and respond to what you said. So now you not only gave that horrible thing one vote, you gave it however many people get stirred up and respond to you. Yeah. And it feels good in the moment. Yeah, but the press send feels good. But what actually should feel terrible to us is how many people we invited to give this same thing, this terrible thing, our attention, because that's all that wins. Negative or positive, it's all about attention. Sometimes when something just hurts me at my core, I will tap that savvy response out and I won't press send for 24 hours that thing has to sit there and then I'll go back the next day and I'll say, is that what I want to add to the noise on the internet? Mm -hmm. Is it helpful? Does it look thoughtful? Usually I don't see it as thoughtful (laughs) the next day. Yeah. Well, this is an ancient art coming in our family. My grandmother, Gregory, her maiden name was Gregory, but that granny used to say, if you write a letter in anger, you put it under your pillow for the night and you sleep on it. And you look at it in the morning, and if you still feel the same way, and you feel like it is coming from a good place, then you put the stamp on it, and then you can mail it. That is a great way of teeing up texting to me. Like, I'm here on the family farm because my mother-in-law died recently. So my brother's house is over there, and my sister's house is over there. My brother, he and I are just like this. (laughs) But we've got to share this family farm, and we get along by and large really well. But... 
you know, when he texts me something completely crazy, I always text back and then I wait 24 hours because, you know, the darn guy usually do something nice within 24 hours. And I'm so glad I didn't send that hateful text. That's so funny. So I've learned to apply that in almost all circumstances of just deciding what I personally want to be responsible for as far as the negative noise on the internet. Here's another great concept. There was a fabulous story from the Holocaust where this little girl, she was 12, and her eight-year-old brother were separated from their parents. They're loaded onto the cattle cars to go to the concentration camp. And they were right by the doors. And at the last second, she looks down and she sees he's lost his shoe in the melee. And she starts giving him hell for losing his shoe. Don't you know we could be going in anything? You needed that shoe, blah, blah, blah. Just then the doors open and they pull the little boy out and she never sees him again. And the last words she said to this kid were admonishing and mean and hateful. And I tell you, I didn't tell that story as impactful as it could be told, but I was changed forever by that story years ago. And it added to what we do at the Goodness Exchange, because I, I think very carefully about what if these were my last words ever? And I think the world could be a better place if everyone was more careful about is this the last words we want to leave standing? Mm-hmm. And also, we don't know what people remember. They may not die after we've said something, but what we've said may linger for that person until yes. they die. Or it be something good, right? Let's make something wonderful. People really don't remember. We learned this in dentistry. People don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. Absolutely. So I think that we've all got an opportunity to be that person in other people's lives, in our online lives. I I don't tell people to go off social media. I just tell them to go there with intention and then get off. Just don't be hijacked by the games being played with our emotions there. Don't give up on the news. I hear people tell me all the time, Greg, that they've tuned out the news entirely. And that makes me so fearful. Yes, Most of the news now has an agenda, but you can find some sources that are (coughs) at least trying to be measured and thoughtful and helpful. My drive to my dental practice is 15 minutes in and 15 minutes back. So I listen to the BBC, which is arguably probably the most unbiased news you can get about the world. So I listen to that for 15 minutes going in and I listen to NPR, a show called Planet Money on my way coming home. Planet Money has this weird way of telling you the news, only how it's related to not really the economy of the world, but just common sense sort of ways that the economy will move due to the news. And I figure if I don't learn something in that half hour, then it probably wasn't all that important. I might learn it tomorrow. Exactly. Because it seems like every television channel, as opposed to the radio stations, has breaking news underneath whatever they're talking about. Everything is breaking news now. Everything but you know that on a thing like BBC or NPR, they would interrupt the news were something yeah. that devastatingly newsworthy. Right. Good point to check your sources. You mentioned an app. That yes. You Tell me yes. about the app. Um, so I don't think for our generation, we're as married to our phones as the generations below us and certainly millennials and Gen Zers. But, but I think that we can use our phones as a tool to help us 
real know that the world we see on the breaking news and constantly churning on social media, all that negativity, it's just a slice of reality. I think our phones could be a tool if we have them set up right. So a long time ago, we decided that we had to invest in a version of our website that could be in the palm of our hands, in our pockets at all times. And we need to be able to get in our car and hit the hit the circle button and see that Damian Mander has discovered that single mothers make the best game wardens in Africa. These are the kind of stories we put on the Goodness Exchange. We're writing about the people who I'd call solutionaries. Not visionaries, solutionary. That term, I have to credit to an amazing TED Talk about education with a woman named Zoe Weil, W-E-I-L. Boy, that TED Talk is 10 years ahead of its time. But she decided that she was going to create an education system that was about creating children that are all about solutions Mm -hmm. and all the things that you would have to teach them if you wanted them to grow up to be people that were responsible about making being positive change makers. So the app gives you instant access to stories like Zoe, like Damian Mander, like Topher White, who's discovered that we can use old cell phones to save every inch of remaining rainforest in the world. There's 2,000 articles there about people who have these ingenious ideas that no one knows about. So the app was a response to just acknowledging that our phones are with us to stay, that some people are more tied to them than others, and that we could use them as a tool for shaping our worldview in a more positive way than always playing and letting ourselves be victimized by them. Mm-hmm. Now, is that, would people find that? Is it an app? On the app store, yeah. yeah. You would look for the Goodness Exchange and, uh, and you'd find the app there. And your website is goodness-exchange.com. If you put in goodnessexchange.com, it's going to pop up too, because that's what our goal was with the Goodness Exchange is to create a landscape where people can land and find and find how they like media, whether it's podcasts, videos, there's a whole video library there. There's a social media group that's forming. It has a hundred members right now. It's called uh, the Goodness Exchange Community. There's a $2 membership for people who just want access to, to and validation that it is still an amazing world. And there's a $12 membership for people who want to find their role in it. We get show ideas to stream on TV, everything from that to how do you support Ukraine right now to how do you, that people add the darndest great things that they come across there. And then there's ways to interact personally with people that you find as kindred spirits. And the most important thing about the social media group is, and this is Bossy Pants is on it. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) I am not letting it turn into a free for all. And what we have to acknowledge is that not everybody's going to be a good fit for every group. Yeah. And we want to cultivate a place where people can, with great ideas and good intentions, can find each other. Mm. I love it. Well, Dr. Linda, this has been an enlightening, delightful conversation spreading goodness in the world. Yeah, there's an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening out there. And you've got to look for it to find it. And once you start doing that, what you look for expands and you will find that the world is quite different than the one we see on news and social media. Yeah. If anybody who goes to the Goodness Exchange hasn't already thought of this once you fall in love with it, I added it to my toolbar so that I take a break at lunch. At first of all, I have to do Wordle. Wordle is benign. That's a good yes. thing. And then I would go on Twitter and my feed is full of news, politics. Yes. And now I go, okay, if I'm going to go to Twitter... 10 minutes, then I have to go to the Goodness Exchange first for 10 minutes. 
And I'm learning all kinds of things like mushrooms could be replacing leather, bacon, and styrofoam. I mean, all these stories, it's not just about people that are doing great things in the world, although no. those people are. It's just this astonishing stuff that's happening. The world yes. is a magical place still. It is totally a magical place. Thank you for mentioning that article. I, that's one of my favorites. But it is a tiny ice, tip of the iceberg of all the other articles there that talk about, you know, trees are talking to each other. Yeah. It's, the wood wide web is what it's called. Yes, the wood wide web. Yeah. There are just, oh, Daniel Kish, the guy who can see has no eyes. And he rides a bike. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What that, those kind of articles do for me is they say, they say, no, Dr. Linda, don't get down. There are people tackling some of the most excruciatingly hard problems in the world, and they're winning. Yeah. So this new problem that pops up, there is probably somebody out there on that too. And, and if it's something I deeply care about, I can track them down, and I can start contributing in some way to their work, mm -hmm. writing letters for them, giving them a donation, what have you. Well, maybe I'm going to go find Chef Andres, who's feeding the world and I don't know how the heck he does it and donate a little bit more to his cause. Yes, that's yeah. true. If I can't be there to help, I can always give some money. Yeah. The, you know, there's a great gal I just interviewed on the podcast who's developed a system, which I think is brilliant and probably the way of the future. She, she's from Central America and she's created a system where you can pay $40 a month or whatever to, to support a family that owns a chunk of the rainforest, to have them be like your gardeners. And it's not a donation. You're actually making it so this little family doesn't have to sell their land to the cocoa plantation or the person who's going to cut it all down. Oh my gosh. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant concept, but these are the ideas that are out there. If you know more about them, I tell you, Greg, you walk with a spring in your step. And when the stuff comes at you, that's just one negative hit after another, you can pull both versions in your hand because you know so much about what's already being done and what's possible. And I don't know anybody that couldn't use a little dose of goodness every yeah. day for themselves. If not to share, then eat it up, use it for yourself, luxuriate in it, <laughs> and yes. show the world what you're made of because it's not all doom and gloom, as you said. And we've got to support that version of reality because what we support is what we get. <laughs> Absolutely. And that sounds like a perfect way to end our conversation. Thank you so much again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg, for what you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. Hey, peeps, before you run, in case you're not 100% sure you're doing everything you can to age as well as you can, which means you'll feel better longer, you might want to check out my Age Better Lifestyle Assessment. It will give us a clear picture of where you are now and what small changes you might want or need to make to improve how you feel, how you look, and how you age. Check it out at rebelliouswellnessover50.com in the Work with Greg section. Thanks.